I'm Brad Levin, and welcome to the AFT Construction Podcast today. For those of you that have been listening, you'll know that our goal is to bring information that can help us all in our business. And it doesn't matter if you're a small business, if you're in design or construction or architecture, our goal is to bring information that can help us all apply just business, techniques, marketing, social media, all those things that we need on a regular basis, especially now as we're dealing with the COVID crisis out there. And our goal is to always dive right into these episodes and really get down to the meat of our conversation. And today we were fortunate to host Betsy Freilich from Kohler. Betsy has over 15 years of experience in the design world and kitchen and bath industry. She has long been passionate about design and its impact on everyday life with a particular passion for the intersection of design and technology. Betsy has worked for Kohler in a variety of capacities ranging from trends and insights to partnerships and collaborations with responsibilities like new product launches and everything in between. And Betsy is active with the design community and has worked with a variety of organizations and associations like the ASID, NKBA, and the Kipps Bay Boys and Girls Club and the New York School of Interior Design. And Kohler Company was founded in 1873 and is headquartered in Kohler, Wisconsin. Kohler Company is one of America's oldest and largest privately held companies comprised of nearly 38,000 associates. With more than 50 manufacturing locations worldwide, Kohler is a global lifestyle brand and leader in the manufacture of kitchen and bath products, engines and power systems, premier cabinetry and tile, and owner-operator of two of the world's finest five-star hospitality and golf resort destinations in Kohler, Wisconsin and St. Andrews, Scotland. So definitely stay tuned. You're going to love this conversation with Betsy, and we're excited to have her on. Well, welcome today to Construction Podcast, and we are super fortunate to have Betsy Freilich with us today. Welcome, Betsy. Hi, Brett. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so we get to uh, flip the script a little bit. You know, you and I <laughs> have joined on the Instagram Live with Kohler, and now we get to have you on our podcast. Well, I appreciate you coming on our Kohler at home, and I'm thrilled to be here to talk with you today. Well, I know we're going to dive into uh, some key things right now, but it's, it is interesting how with COVID, how we're just trying to alter, you know, the conversation and how we communicate and, and connect, even though I know you've been working from home. So I'm sure it's been an adaptation for every, for everyone such as yourself. So it has, I am coming to you live from my office right now and my kids are outside with, um, obviously being watched. So hopefully you can't hear them (laughs) throughout this, but it is, it has been such a strange time. And, you know, it's, interesting when I speak to people like you or other experts in the industry, how the the notion of home has really changed for people and how it has to be so many things. And I think that'll have, as we've discussed before, a really big impact on the, the home long term and what people want in it and the new things they look to include in it. It's funny you say that because I think we could dive in just on that point is that, you know, home was one thing six months ago and here we are now and it's really evolving and I'm seeing our clients already making changes on current designs and altering their home that we're going to be building. So Betsy, I mean, you have great experience in design and product and trends. So how do you identify what's trending? And it's kind of a twofold question because that's one part of what you do. But the second part is home is trending, as you just mentioned. So how is Mm -hmm. that evolving? Yeah, really, uh, really great question. And I will start by saying I don't think anyone could have predicted how this current situation is having an impact on the home. But I was talking with a couple of our strategists actually yesterday, and they made a really good point from some of the research that we get that 
situations like this don't bring on new trends necessarily. What they do is accelerate and exacerbate trends that are already starting to happen. So it's just brought things to light faster than than society would have otherwise. And that's an I think that's an important consideration. But the way that we approach researching trends is is very methodical. We have teams of people, strategists, consumer insights, industrial design, marketers like myself who come together and bring our different perspectives and we vet them, we discuss them and we use a wide range of inputs to try to understand what's trending. That's interesting. So what are some of the techniques? And I don't want you to give away any secrets, of course, but, you know, I, I'm sure there's different ways to obtain this research. And I'm not sure if it's, um, you know, following certain accounts or if it's, you know, trending, um, you know, styles or terms used online. I mean, what are some of the ways that your different departments are, are finding this research? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I'll say so many different areas. Uh, we work with trend forecasting companies, agencies who it's their their job day in and day out to pay attention to what's happening. That's one source. We have, as I mentioned, a consumer insights team as well that does a vast amount of primary and secondary research. We really try to track consumer sentiment, consumer behavior, and trying to understand what is driving consumers so that our products can meet consumer needs and and you know provide benefit in people's lives. And I, I should also say that we we track everything from how people would use our products to the colors, materials, finishes, you know, sort of the aesthetic portion as well, because that has a really big impact on the mood that or the emotion that a room evokes. Um, and then we also pay attention to, you know, real estate and trend forecasting from that standpoint. You know, John Burns and team are a really great resource that we work with. So it, it comes from a lot of different places, but we also spend a lot of time talking with, you know, whether it's people like you or other experts in the industry who are building and specifying and working with consumers day in and day out. And all of that comes together to form our research. Well, what's interesting, I've, what's always intrigued me is I find it difficult to understand um, and, and from your operation, trends that are international and national because by region, it, it differs so much, right? I see what we're doing in Scottsdale and it's so much different than in the South or in the Northwest or in the Midwest, right? And so, or, or coastal cities. And so I would imagine that that's even more complex to some level trying to understand what's going to hit and target to all these different markets, right? Absolutely. And I mean, you mentioned a few of the regionalities in the United States when you add in major economies like China or India or Europe, the the trends start to change as well. And I think it's important to understand those those differences and we spend time and, and you know we have teams in each of those areas that are responsible for understanding, you know, the trends within their markets. But it's interesting when you look at sort of the top level consumer behavior, a lot of the emotional needs that people have around the world that impact their decisions are consistent. And there is a breakdown of barriers across the, the different parts of the world, in large part due to technology and the way that technology has allowed people to be connected all over the world. So it is interesting to pay attention to some of the similarities as well. 
it's funny you bring that up because I've had other guests. Brian Harris was a guest I had a while ago, and he talked about the herd mentality and and what you're alluding to. Yeah, that consumer behavior where you'll see something hit, whatever it may be, and then the you know the herd will follow it. They want to have that yes. or be like it, and so it's really trying to understand what those target um, items are or target products, and then seeing where that kind of movement is going. And you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that especially in light, I think that's a really great point. And he made a really great point. And one of the considerations we have in light of that is the role our products play in space, in the, in, in the space or in home. We make plumbing products and those are durables and you're not going to want to change those out every two to three years. They're going to be in there for a longer period of time. So when we look at trends, we have to try to evaluate what are some of what are people following right now? And they might drop off a cliff in a year or two and not be a trend anymore. What but what is going to stand the test of time and what is a more longer term trend? And that's a really important consideration because of the role our products play in people's homes. And for sure, and anyone understands without getting into it, I mean R and D, right? Research and development, there's costs involved in any launch of product. And so there has to be um, some sort of tracking internally, you know, how you know, how much a product is selling across the nation or Absolutely. if it's selling a certain demo, you know, before you launch things, you know, and, and extend that line, if you will. Yeah, we there's definitely a lens to, you know, research and development and how long not only how long products take to bring to market, but how long we expect them to be relevant in the market. And it's a, you know, it's a fine line to walk to make sure that we are staying on the leading edge, but not too far on the leading edge to where people can't come and meet us um, in a place that they feel they feel comfortable with. I love that. And and it's funny, just going back to an earlier comment you made, it's funny because you had talked about you work with some other agencies. And what I find amazing about technology today, uh, which to some of us is scary in some sense, is that, you know, we could be searching for a product or maybe an item of clothing. And then it's in our um, checkout box. You know, we don't purchase <laughs> it. And then every website you go to, it's there on the side. And, and so this oh, information yeah. is being tracked. And so I'm sure with these agencies that there is a good pulse on what is driving consumers what they're looking at. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's actually important to probably distinguish between some of these different types of agencies and different types of, you know, ability to to track or target consumers with relevant information. You know, I, I using the analogy that you made, Nordstrom is really great at understanding exactly what I want and making sure they serve that to me on a variety <laughs> of websites and in my email and <laughs> It's great because they know what I want before I know what I want it. And right. some consumers want that. And so there are various technologies that exist and marketing platforms that allow you to really personalize that experience to the consumer and serve them information that they're interested in based on what they've liked, what they don't like, and what their sort of digital profile is. You have to also, though, have the ability to turn that off and make sure that if consumers do not want that information shared about them, that you're, you know, obviously maintaining any privacy standards and making sure that you're meeting them in a place where they're comfortable with. And so there are groups of and organizations that you can work with or marketing platforms that you can use for that. There's also then more macro trend tracking and insight tracking, which is, you know, 
different agencies, different groups of people that really just study what's happening with consumer insights and consumer behavior. And it's not down to the personal level of understanding what you know, Betsy Freilich sitting in Wisconsin is doing. It's more about understanding societal trends. So those are different, but two really important pieces of the equation when it comes to not only developing products, but making sure consumers get the information that they need in the way that they want it. That's a good point. I mean, so if you're looking at a macro level, you're looking at, you know, the bigger picture here um, and, and, and trends that are happening not on an individual level, but on a bigger level. And, and, and so does that help you anticipate, you know, cycles and trends? Cause we've seen over the years, you know, thanks, we'll go out of style, but then they come back in. I know as a kid, I grew up working in San Diego and Coronado Island and there were a lot okay. of white, white kitchens, right? A lot of people had white kitchens in these homes that are a hundred years old on Coronado. Okay. And then now that's a trend, right? And you see these things come in and out and in and out again. And so does that, are you studying certain cycles of trends that you monitor Absolutely. over the years? Absolutely. Yeah, that's a really good point. Part of, part of the approach to trend tracking has to do with taking a look at what's happened throughout history. And we have a really great team who oversees our color material finish uh, trend forecasting. And a big part of what they do is look back and understand the cyclical nature of how colors and finishes and different materials come back into play. And it's usually in a slightly different iteration, you know, what it's, uh, you know, 90s styles are coming back in right now. And it's in a slightly different way for fashion than it was in the 90s when it first existed. And that's what we see a lot with CMF or color material finish palettes throughout history. There's a cyclical nature to it for sure. And that's an important part of understanding the future is understanding and respecting what happened in the past. It's funny you bring up the term, you know, CMF, because that color material finish, um, you, you see that where now you see a lot of the gold and yes. some of the rich brass. And and there was, you know, over the years, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, you saw a lot of that. And, and it was yeah. a different tone, a different finish, different sheen. And so it's, it's in essence, come back in that cycle, but it's just a different element and a different um, uh, texture to it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there are a couple of interesting things about that. One, I think gold is such an interesting example of how you can look back throughout history, not only, you know, 30, 40 years ago, but hundreds of years ago to see how it was used and how that material is something that has really stood the test of time. And that is something that a lot of people look to nowadays as they want to stay relevant and, you know, have a space that looks up to date, but not appear too trendy so that their space goes out of style in, you know, five years. And that is a really important consideration when we look at things like colors and finishes and golds, for example. We approach color development and finish development within three buckets. We have classics, neutrals, and bolds. And when we look at the colors that or finishes that are present in those categories, there needs to be a longevity to them. With the, the classics that would be like a white or black or different shades of white, those should be able to exist in someone's home for a good 60 years. From a neutral standpoint, where I would put the golds in that sort of neutral bucket, it can be a very expansive range, we would expect our finishes to last a good 30 years. And that isn't to say that you aren't going to need to update paint colors or towels or something like that to you know spruce up the room every now and then, but that finish should last a good 30 years in that neutral bucket. 
And then bolder colors, uh, you know, pops of color, we would expect those to last a good 10. Still shorter than the classics and the neutrals, but still have longevity so that it, it can stand the test of, you know, a good decade within your home. That's interesting. I was taking those notes because, you, you know, you say this and it's not common knowledge, but yet it makes sense. I mean, I've, I've seen that just over my years in design and construction, how, you know, if you think about a bold, I mean, maybe you have like a gray water closet or a gray fixture or a purple, you know, to match a certain space. And so it might be a little bit more bold that'll fit that space for a design trend, you know, that'll fit for 10 years. And then you may have to make a change. Whereas if you go to some of the classics, you know, those do last for a really long time and can work with, you know, as you change different palettes of the house. Absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned something interesting that, made me think of another, you know, piece of education we try to get out about colors, materials, and finishes that I think, you know, we as a company have so many stories to tell that sometimes it can feel hard to communicate all of the stories that we have to tell. But we often hear that people feel white and chrome are the safe choices. You know, it's always going to look good. It's always going to, it's classic. And there are certainly times and places for white and chrome. But what we actually end up finding is that the vast majority of time, neutrals, which even or off-whites, Dune is a really great example of an off-white that can go warm or cool, those often end up being a better design solution for the consumer because rarely do you have stark white anything. Usually something is a slight shade, it's an off-white leaning warm or cool. And some of those, what we would consider color material finish or non-white or non-chrome end up being the better solution, but people don't know that. And they default to chrome and, and stark white because they think it's the safe choice. That's been interesting. That's great perspective. And and what's fascinating, you know, one one thing that I enjoyed when I when I went out there to colors, you see, and we talked, you touched about this topic earlier is the manufacturing side of things. And yeah, you know, to see manufacturing happen, like to me, I'm a construction guy. So when I go out there and I see, you know, all this stuff happening and being built. And, and it's mm -hmm. one thing to look at a magazine or a picture and see, oh, this is beautiful, this great design. But you don't think about the engineering and yeah. the manufacturing behind it, which I that even is more impressive to understand that part of it and then integrate it into a beautiful design and finish. I totally agree with that. The people I am most impressed with, I have to say, in our organization are the engineers and the industrial designers. The way that they collaborate together, both in designing the product and then manufacturing, engineering, and making sure that the ergonomics are right and all of the details that it takes to actually make the physical product are so substantial and they work so collaboratively together that it's a really it's a really exciting and inspiring thing to see and often something that exactly to I think the what you were saying unless you see it or you've been to Kohler to see it you don't have perspective for that and yeah. it's it's an important point to not let go yeah and it's really true I mean it's something that you don't see a lot of you don't think American manufacturing or even manufacturing right. what goes behind it and you know, I think about that even as it relays, relates to maybe furnishings, right? You can design this amazing sofa or settee, but is it comfortable? Can you, you know, and you think exactly. of it from the plumbing side. Okay, we have this beautiful fixture, you know, but is it performing? Is it going to last? Is it durable? Is it engineering, right? The industrial design of it. And, and I think most people don't realize what goes in 
to that coordination behind the scenes. Agreed. And, I, you know, one example of that is a freestanding bath. Those are such important and beautiful focal points in bathrooms these days. And you know, my husband and I are designing a house right now, and I made sure we have a freestanding bath, and we're debating which one we need to put in. And it's so easy to look at it from the aesthetics, but you also have to look at it from the, the functionality standpoint. What is the installation going to look like? Is that going to be easy or complicated when you lay in it? Is it ergonomically correct? If I have my kids in it and they're splashing around, what does that do and where where's the splash pattern for it? There are so many considerations that go into that one product that I think people just sort of take for granted happens. And it's, it's a process and a lot of work to make sure that the ultimate result is something that's both beautiful and functional. Yeah, and it's funny you say that because I know you have a background in design, Betsy, and and this will be a plug, I guess, for our interior designers that they'll love to hear. But I, you, you know, clients, and this is off topic, but a lot of clients will say, "Oh, why do I need a designer?" You know, I kind of know what I, what I want, but there's so much more to it when you think about the practicality of it and the functionality. And not only does it how how does it look aesthetically, but how's it going to perform over time based on your living conditions and situation with kids or no kids, you know, in your lifestyle. Oh my gosh, you couldn't have hit the nail more on the head. I was actually having a conversation at one of our on one of our Kohler at Homes with Lori Peranjape, uh, an interior designer from Nashville, and we were discussing the fact that that platforms like Instagram and Pinterest have done amazing things to help people appreciate the aesthetics and the beauty and what really good spaces look like, but they don't allow for a conversation about functionality. And that almost is more important. <laughs> Lori was sharing some perspective she has about the questions she asked, and I'm sure it's similar to what you go through with your clients, understanding how they live in the space down to, you know, for if you're a woman, do you curl your hair with your right hand or your left hand? Because that's going to impact in the vanity space where you're putting storage. Or how tall are the people that are in a home? Or Lori's concept that I hadn't heard before this that I love is back of house or that space from the garage into the kitchen. And what are the things that you need to drop? Is it kids' uniforms and dirty shoes? Do you have a space for that? Is it your, she calls it the Costco closet, where you're dumping the big things that you just brought home from the grocery store? Or what sort of laundry sink do you need on the way, all before you get to the kitchen, so that you can enjoy that space when you get there? And it's these considerations that are so important when you're designing homes. I, I love that you said that. It's funny because I, I, I'm in agreement. I love social media. I think it brings so much collaboration and it brings a lot of education and knowledge. But the one thing that's hard to portray is, is, is these little nuances, right? So I know what some things that separate good designers, as you mentioned, is, you know, I, I know some designers that when we're designing a home, they'll ask the clients, hey, okay, I don't want you to clean your house. Let it be a mess. Let it be a normal day. And let me come take a tour. Because what yeah. they want to do, they want to, just as you mentioned, they want to come in from the garage. Okay, where is everyone leaving their shoes and backpack? Where are the keys? Where's the mail? You know, what pots and pans? What's on the shelf right now on your countertop? And so they want to see in their closet, where are the issues, if you will, of, or lack exactly. of organization or storage? And so now in their design, they can say, okay, let's design this house now. Let's how, how, how often do you cook? How many ovens do you need? The pot and pan sizes. So now we can really cater this house to fit, you know, your lifestyle. 
Exactly. That's such an important point. And again, to exactly what you said, there's so much that collaboration that can come from social media, but there is a facade almost or a, a lack of showing the expertise that people have and the depth of knowledge that a lot of experts in these spaces have and in these professions that you know, only come to life in a really beautiful picture and you, you lose some of that depth. And it's important that we have places that you can capture it and have conversations about it so that we can continue to move, you know, the home and building and design industries forward. I love that. So how is Kohler and how are you, Betsy, and your team, like how are you reaching out to different designers um, and influencers to kind of build that network, you know, for that, um, to, to receive that feedback and information? Yeah, that's a great question. And I would say we have, and I'll explain how we approach it right now. I will also say we always want to get better at that. So if anyone listening has, you know, ideas or ways that we can better collaborate, please feel free to share them with us afterwards. We definitely are open to that feedback and that sort of collaboration. But the way that we currently approach it is through a few different a few different ways. Uh, one is with, through our marketing and our sales teams having connections in local markets. I know you, Brad, have worked with a few members of our marketing team on the trade side of things. That's a great way to start the conversation. You know, that led to our conversation a few weeks ago. And then today, we also have people that manage what I'll call influencer relations, where they connect, their job is to connect with different people around the country and around the world on different projects. And by using those networks of people, both in the marketing and the sales side of things, we're able to then funnel that information back into the organization. Which is super important. And so do you ever, you know, as these relationships are built and you're getting the feedback, do you ever collaborate with designers or influencers to help with trends or new designs? Yeah, we, we definitely do. Um, we also have an, a designer advisory council that is made up of 14 people from 12 different firms around the country that has been really just one example of a group that's been really helpful from that standpoint, we'll share new product information with them before we have fully designed the product to see if we're hitting on something that's a need in the market or are there different considerations that they would have or different feedback on what the product should do or shouldn't do or how do they think they would sell it. We'll do the same thing with showroom consultants, especially from you know a selling or specking standpoint. How does this fit into the way that you work with consumers? And are there things that we should be doing differently or are there gaps? I think one example of how we've taken that feedback over the years has to do with gaps in our product lines and maybe not having all of the finishes for a faucet family or only a couple of sizes for a bathtub and really getting feedback on needing to round out collections and make sure that we have complete solutions for people who are specking has been, you know, just one example of really great feedback that we've gotten over the years. No, that's really important. I mean, it's important to understand, you know, how the end user needs different sizes or finishes, you know, to complete that palette, right? In their design. Yeah. Well, and you know, something else that's also really important about that it and you know, I don't know that we've necessarily touched on yet. We we talked at the beginning about, you know, tracking consumer trends and consumer dynamics and what's happening with society as a whole. 
it's also really important for us to understand and to continue to get feedback on how our products actually make it into people's homes. It's one thing to understand consumers, and it's another thing to understand all of the, you know, the people and influencers, to use it in a slightly different way, along the way from, you know, people like yourself to showroom consultants to the plumber who's going to put our product in. What are all the considerations that would help someone continue to recommend Kohler along the way? And those are a lot of stakeholders to get feedback from, all very important groups and all very have very relevant feedback. You, you, I'm really glad you brought that up because I, I don't know how, you know, with a company of your size and, and even just the complexity there, how you track that. Because I know, for example, I'll, I'll give a partner of yours, you know, Wolf Sub-Zero, not a partner, yeah. but a, a, a like-minded company, right? That's American made. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Just so down they, the street from us in Madison. Ex- yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so what's funny about them is they challenge, you know, and their market's different. So for example, in California, everything's mostly retail. They sell to the contractor, they sell to the consumer. Whereas in Phoenix, you know, greater Phoenix area, it doesn't work that way. They're only going through distributors. And so it's a very complex system. And to your point, you're like, okay, are we selling to the distributor in your market? Mm-hmm. And is a distributor only selling to vendors or are they selling retail? And then there's the plumbers, the plumber buying direct and doing the design. Is there an interior designer spec and everything or a builder? Or maybe it's a hybrid like mine was mm-hmm. designer builder that's doing everything. And so that that's a lot of people to manage and understand in every single market. You know, if you have a silver, silver bullet for how to handle that, I would be <laughs> all ears. Yeah, I, I mean, you're absolutely right. It's, it's a complex system to manage and it's complex from a selling and specking and installing process. And um, all we can do is try to make sure we're connected to the right people in the right markets. And, you know, one of the big... I'd say one of the big benefits that we have is our sales force who are stationed throughout the country and they are, you know, the local connections and they manage and maintain relationships. They understand the nuances of those markets and then they can provide that information back up to those of us that work at corporate. And, you know, obviously it's part of our job to make sure we're getting out into the market and well, maybe not out into the market right now, but generally (laughs) after this time ends, um, you know, making sure that we're understanding and experiencing what's happening throughout the country. Yeah. And and it's interesting. I think you almost have your own, excuse me, your own little silver bullet because, um, you know, I, I look at some of our clients and we're doing a home for a client out of North Dakota. And they said, you know, in North Dakota, when we did our cabin, you know, there's just one location. There's a little kitchen, a bath design room. That's where you go. There's not really an interior design firm. Whereas you come to Scottsdale and there's a ton of <laughs> retailers and designers and it's just so many options, you know, but what I found is like our rep here in Phoenix. I mean, I've known her for 14 years now yeah. and she's like on it, you know, she knows a lot of the designers and builders and, yep. and and she knows exactly where to go and if I need something she can help and so you know I think the strategy that you alluded to is having the right rep in each area that understands the market you know their market absolutely absolutely and so let me ask you this you know as we kind of evolve this a little bit Betsy when when you're thinking Mm -hmm. about design and trends which we've spoken to you know how what is the key component to a product launch because there's you know if you're launching a product today that we see most of us don't see the year to a backlog of R&D and, yeah. you know, engineering and, and as we have alluded to industrial design to make sure not only is it going to function, but now is it going to hit based on aesthetics? Yeah, great question. Really great question. I think the the secret has to do 
and honestly, this is something that we have, ha sometimes we do a good job at and sometimes we don't and we know we have an opportunity to improve here. It has to do with the original intent of the product, with the original design story, the needs that it was meeting in the market and why that product was originally conceived. That story and that nugget, making it all the way through to our communications and displays and, you know, outward facing consumer or specifier material that we're putting out. And it may sound easy, but internally, we actually have a lot of groups that have to touch that product and that story along the way to get it launched and get it to market. And it's easy to have important pieces of that original nugget get lost along the way. And where we have the biggest success is when the integrity of what that original product idea was make it all the way through to the end and to the, the displays and the, the marketing materials, as I mentioned. Well, you hit a home run with that comment because you had, you had used the, uh, the comment of story, right? And, and mm -hmm. it's marketing 101, right? It's how do you <laughs> yes. make that emotional journey? How do you make, Absolutely. how do people feel you know, with it, the purchase and, you know, having this product in their life. It, you're, you couldn't have hit that more on the head. It is, people don't want features and benefits. They don't want a list of all of the things that the product can do. But what you want is to understand that, I'll use a, you know, a Whitehaven cast iron kitchen apron front sink as an example. You can have all of the space to bathe your new little baby in it. You can wash your dog in it. And you know what? It's going to be a beautiful design that harkens back to what people perceive as a simpler time. And it gives a sense of nostalgia along with this emotional connection of being able to, you know, work with your family and your pets in this in the kitchen, which is the heart of the home. And that is an example, I think, of a product that has done really well for us because it hit on consumer needs, how consumers use it, and the design and the price point are right. It's it's that combination of everything that comes together. It's not because it has a specific base and depth or because it has the, you know, an apron that does meet certain radii or whatever that is. It it has to do with how it fits into people's lives. Well, it's funny you say that. And whether you're an expert on this or not, Betsy, it seems like you're an expert. But yeah, they always say, you know, with marketing, focus on the story, not the features, right? Because yeah. it's the story that creates, <clears throat> you know, that uh, that incentive and drive for clients to go and purchase that and make it part of their life. Absolutely. And that's one of the things that I think, you know, when we when we're training anyone, we have an opportunity to make sure that we're telling more of the story and providing that emotional engagement. Because at the end of the day, people relate to people and you buy from people and you need to feel like you have a sense of connection, not only to the people that you're buying from, but about the products that you're buying. That's a really important consideration. I know when I choose to purchase things, I look for companies and products that I can believe in and that connect with me on a personal level. I love that. So let's ask this then. If if today, Betsy, you came in and you said, okay, I have this great idea. We're going to have this, uh, you know, this touchless faucet and here's the color and this is what I want. You know, how long does it typically take from conception, you know, idea, um, our thought bubbles here to all the R&D and all the engineering and to product launch? Great question. And I'm going to have a couple of different answers for that because <laughs> it really depends on the specific product and whether it's brand new technology that goes into the product, brand new manufacturing, brand new 
form or if it's an iteration of a product that we've already had in our line, I would say on average, it takes us from 12 to 24 months to go through once we have the nugget of the idea to go through that whole process. And it is our goal to get faster as an organization. I think, you know, from David Kohler on down there, we know that we have to be you know, faster to get to market and bring products to people in a quicker way. But on average right now, it takes about 12 to 24 months. Which is amazing. I think most consumers don't realize, you know, they think of something on the shelf and there's a huge story and backlog there to, you know, to that product and to think about the investment. And, and, and I relate it to, I mean, my profession, I mean, we, you know, the the most exciting time is when I can post this picture on Instagram, right? Of this home we completed. But, but I think back of this was two years, you know, this was, you know, maybe eight months of pre-construction and design and thought. And then it was 14 months of construction. And so, a two-year process. And then when it's done, we got to make sure the home is furnished and then photographed. And so, you know, th- there's some pride in there from, I'm sure as you see products launched, you're like, hey, I, I was involved in this from day one. And here we are two years later at this amazing launch. Exactly. And, you know, it's interesting. I think you couldn't, yeah, that, that's such a very, very good point understanding all of the, you know, the background and everything that goes into it. We have had situations where, and again, I understand where people come from when they say this, but, you know, we launch a product or we're just starting to train on it and you're met with, well, did you think about this or this, or why didn't you do this? Or (laughs) why doesn't it do this other thing that I think would be a really great addition? And 99% of the time, the comments are very valid and likely we've actually checked and considered some of those considered some of those elements, but people don't have a perspective for what that, you know, the last two years looked like as we were trying to get that product to market. Oh, for sure. And, and, <laughs> and even more so. So you have the product launch, you know, the marketing, we've created the emotional journey and we've had the R&D and all this time. So now is the important part to educate the client. So, exactly. you know, how, how do you do that to get, you know, the story and information out there now to all your channels? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, and it's something that's really important for us. And one of the things that we spend a lot of time talking about is share of share of mind or share of brain. And we have so many products that we offer. You know, one of our, I think, unique and competitive advantages is that especially in the bathroom space, we can be a complete solution provider for plumbing to someone like yourself or to a consumer. But that comes with having a lot of stories to tell and a lot of products to educate about. And what we try to do is a few different things. We break it down into spaces within the bathroom, whether it's toileting or bathing, showering, or the styling space area that would be, you know, like the vanity sink, faucet, mirror. And we try to organize our stories into those spaces to help people make sense of the products that um, we're coming with. And then we just put together packets of information that have, you know, key new points about specifying what people will need to consider for installation, uh, you know, the design story behind it. And then we work through our, you know, local sales teams to get those stories out into the market. No, that's really important. And, and what's interesting is, um, you know, like a lot of our clients have really been enthused and designing digital showers, right? The DTV showers. And so, yeah. you know, there's a technical side to that. I mean, it's a great design and application and very easy to use, but there is a technical side from the plumber just to make sure everything's plumbed correctly. And so, you know, there's, um, there is training there and how do you educate 
all the way down, to, you know, to the plumber that's going to be installing that. Yeah, that's a really important consideration. Uh, the especially when it comes to technology products, getting the installers and the people who are actually going to be putting it in trained and and a hands-on training. It's one thing to see something in a PowerPoint, it's slightly different to see it in a video, but to actually get your hands on it and be able to understand where these plugs go or what you're supposed to do is really important. So we do have teams of people who basically scour the country and make sure that they're meeting with people and local installers, giving them hands-on training for some of these tech products. But, you know, it's... Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say this. It's such an interesting time in our industry with the the change and evolution of technology. We've had a lot of conversations with people about how you don't need to, you know, go to Silicon Valley to work in tech. You know, plumbing and home design is so tech oriented these days, and there are so many opportunities for people interested in technology to get into home design and installation of products within the home. Which is which is amazing because you have seen uh, companies I've I've seen even in Phoenix right some tech companies have moved to Phoenix and so not everything's con- concentrated there in the Bay Area now you can work in great point yeah. yeah places such as Wisconsin right and mm-hmm. and start doing this engineering and technology and 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 research which you know throughout the country and that is one benefit to you know technology and diversification absolutely absolutely there's lots of opportunities to, for people to participate wherever they are. Yeah. And let me ask you this. And so, you know, one key component, as we're alluding to, this is going right into evolution, right? Every co- company to be successful, you need to evolve. You need to be able to um, see what's coming, adapt to it, change, and how more prevalent now with COVID. And one thing that's fascinating, go back to my trip in Kohler, was, you know, just seeing how, you know, World War II, how Kohler, you know, plumbing company had mm-hmm. changed manufacturing. You know, they're doing ammo and artillery and, and yeah. other things to assist the country. And so, you know, talk a little bit about how, you know, Kohler's evolved over the years and why, you know, why that's so important for every company to really think about how to evolve. Yeah, that's a great question. And something that I, I think warrants a lot of thought and and reflection, both as, you know, as companies and individuals, the, the evolution piece. From a company standpoint, I think the evolution starts actually with one of my favorite quotes from David Kohler, which is the business success doesn't matter if you don't leave the world a better place. So evolution for us has to do with both the products and services that we offer, as well as making sure we're doing the right thing for people and communities and the world at large. And technology is actually at an interesting intersection of, of those two concepts. We believe that technology is the future of home design. It is not if technology is part of home design, it's when. And we actually believe that this current situation is is further accelerating that process. You know, touchless faucets, things like bidets or our continuous clean toilets, those are very, very popular right now. And there's a new focus on understanding the benefit that some of these touchless products or these technology products can offer in light of the current situation that we're in. I love that. And and I'll come back to a couple of points you made about mm-hmm. um, sustainability and stuff and kind of the yeah. Kohler's reach there with David. But real quick, you know, you mentioned the bidets and it's funny because, yeah, here we are. Uh, for whatever reason, there's a toilet paper shortage, right? And, yes, and it's funny. Who knew? And, 
Yeah, and it's almost like we have to train a new culture because if you leave the United States, anyone that's traveled, you know, I, I've lived in Argentina uh, for a while and down there, everyone has a date, right? In Europe, yep. it's very common for us here that we do it in some of our high-end custom homes, but it's not very prevalent where now, you know, that technology is there that, that it's just helped train in the culture and accessibility for our clients. Now, hey, you could have touchless faucets and bidets and self-cleansing seats, right? And these things that will help with any pandemic that may come in the future. Right. And, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned about the use of bidets outside of the United States. Prior to COVID, one of the main drivers for the increase of sales of bidets or intelligent toilets was travel. And travel is one of those trends or cultural dynamics that we track where, you know, over 50% of people in the U.S. believe that travel is part of the American dream. 57% say that they get inspired for their bathroom from places that they get inspiration for their bathroom from places that they visit. So prior to COVID, it was travel that was one of the primary drivers of increasing intelligent toilet and bidet sales, which we had been seeing for the past couple of years. But now we have COVID and the focus on clean and understanding how those sorts of technology or clean products can impact people's lives in this time of a pandemic that is really accelerating that trend that was already existing. Right. It's funny because you don't realize how much you need it until you need it, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, exactly. And, and, but, but even outside that, that point about travel is fascinating because most of the clients, I, I would say 100% of every client that I've worked with on the design of their home is influenced on places they've traveled. Absolutely. You know, and, and to your point, whether you know, we did a home where they had these doors to their master and it was inspired by a hotel they stayed, stayed at in Paris, right? Yes, and exactly. another, yeah, another home we did these, um, this elements of their kitchen for a place that they had stayed when they went to Budapest. And, and so it's funny how, you know, design and influence of these other cultures and especially in Europe and other places uh -huh. where they're like, I, I want this in my home. It just, there's, and then it goes back to the story, the emotion and how they felt traveling and visiting there. And now they want a part of that for their everyday life. Exactly. And, you know, you just mentioned something so important, the emotional connection. So much of design and, and home and the way people experience it is tied to emotion and things that they felt either certain places or at certain times of their life that they want to always be around them. And that is what makes home such a special place. And I think, you know, part of the reason why I know I'm passionate about the work that we do, because there's so much value that people get from having great homes that hit on a lot of the emotional needs that they have. And and going back to your point, you know, uh, that you had made, you know, just about sustainability and things. Yeah. Polar, you know, it's really difficult if you have an aircraft carrier to turn it, whereas a jet ski, you know, you can flip around quickly. Yeah. So, you know, you know, the, the 800 pound grill, and I don't want to use that term, but you know, the, the, you know, there's a lot there with cola, but yet you're, oh, it's okay. You're, you can use it. Yeah. So, so you're finding ways to be sustainable, you know, with ANSAC, some of your tile yep. that's been released. Absolutely. And where you're taking essentially what would be waste, but reusing that and, uh, you know, that's helped benefiting the environment. And so what are some other things that, you know, our listeners should know about things that you're doing to help yeah. be more sustainable for the planet? That's a great question. And you know, one of the things that you were just mentioning is something that I think people should pay attention to and learn about. And it's what we call our waste lab. And it's a couple of years old and the brainchild of some of our industrial designers who have spent a long time trying to understand how we can utilize waste streams that come from our various manufacturing facilities to 
basically not go to landfills and to turn them into productive product. So one of the the products that the Waste Lab has developed is tile that is sold as part of our ANSACS collection. I believe we're working on some additional tiles that will be coming out soon. They've worked on small, a variety of small items as well, whether it's, you know, tape countertop accessories or even ball markers for golf courses. They have many different ways that they're utilizing the waste streams that come from our manufacturing. We also have everything from that to uh, what we call EPDs or environmental um, declarations, basically, for our products, where you can see everything that goes into them. We track the life cycle of our products to make sure that we know what's happening. And then as people have questions about it or they need information for lead certifications or things like that, you can get it. So we, we believe in transparency when it comes to how we're manufacturing our products. And then we have a lot of associate give back as well. And a lot of people, sorry, real quickly, just that no, you're you know, fine. around the world, you know, our teams in China plant trees to offset different, um, you know, emissions. So there's there's lots of ways that employees also get involved in that. Right. So you're not only, you know, reusing product there at your manufacturing facilities and, and not having any waste, zero waste, if you will, but you're also looking at, you know, um, as you mentioned, planting trees and other environmental things around the world to help, you know, our, our ecosystem. Absolutely. So how, how do you, you know, I know we've touched upon this, Betsy, but I still, you know, for me, it, it's, it's fascinating that how you stay ahead of the curve and technology. So, so what's new with Kohler that you could tell us it's, even if you can't release maybe all the specifics, but what are some of the exciting things you're seeing um, upcoming? Yeah, I think a lot of the exciting things have to do with with technology and, you know, this idea of smart home and a couple of the ways that we stay, you know, ahead of the curve and just understanding the the landscape of what's happening is through companies that we partner with, whether it's the major technolo- technology companies like an Apple or Google or an Amazon, you know, we not only exhibit at CES, but we have people that scour the show to make sure they're understanding what's coming next and bringing those inputs back. We look to a lot of external places, especially in technology, to understand how trends are evolving and to think about then how our products fit into those those ecosystems, so to speak. And I think one of the exciting things that will be coming that's already here to some extent, but we'll just be continuing to accelerate over the next couple of years is how technology comes together and works together to create experiences for consumers. It's it's less about the individual, you know, touchless faucet or the individual toilet, but when you walk into your bathroom, I can tell Alexa to start my shower and then my lighting adjusts accor- accordingly to the way that I've preset it. So it creates the right experience for me when I walk into my bathroom in the morning. And I think that coming together of technologies across products is what's going to be really exciting to see in the future. Which uh, you've hit it spot on. It's funny because as you know, the more people I I speak with and and network with, you know, that seems to be the key is, okay, you know, we talk a lot about circadian cycles, right? You know, like how we live and the stress of lighting and the air quality and water quality and everything in there. And that's, that's part of it. And then integrated with technology, you think about, 
your point that, hey, if I have a partner that's asleep, you know, can I dim the lights? Can I have it so I can still function, you know, on these settings? Or Mm -hmm. when I get in the shower, you know, to the DTV, can I have the exact temperature for me? And then my partner can have a different one. And so all these little things that just not only make our life more pleasurable and and, um, expeditious, if you will. I mean, it just is and happy, right? Yes. And, you know, you mentioned something that I think is such an interesting point. I uh, It was back in December, the NKBA did, uh, did a joint, basically, day-long event with with Cedia to bring together sort of the, you know, the kitchen and bath design and the technology world. And one of the interesting speakers there was Julie Jacobson, who, you know, founded CE Pro, and she's such an interesting person to listen to. And she was talking about how historically, you know, it's only been in the last couple of hundred years that people have spent the majority of time indoors. We used to spend all of our time outdoors and we were, you know, our bodies adjusted to the rhythms of nature and, you know, circadian rhythm being one example of that. And we have fundamentally changed that and our physiology will be changing, but we have technology that can actually connect us back to some of those trends that we used to experience or those items that we used to experience a long time ago. So there's a really interesting way that technology can also be used to, you know, bring the outside in and to connect people back to nature in a way that's really important for us at a biological level. It's so important. You said that's funny how that all circles back, right, to the conversations we've had. Um, Yeah, it's just it's so important. I mean, and, and, and with COVID, you know, we've seen how, you know, there's and, and without getting into all the specifics, but, you know, there's stress people at home, yes. you know, being enclosed. And even though mm-hmm. we aren't close, you know, when, you know, mentally they're stuck there. So why can't we design the home from a lighting and functionality and plumbing and everything that goes into it to create a peaceful abode, you know, and design the home, whether you have an at-home gym or at-home office, you know, some of these things exactly. where you have an outlet, right? Exactly. So important to stay ahead of that trend. Yes. So Betsy, I mean, you've been amazing and I know your time's super valuable and I really appreciate coming on the podcast today and spending, you know, this hour with us. So where can our listeners find you? You can find us on our website at us.kohler.com. You can find us on LinkedIn. You can also find us on Instagram with the handle Kohler and basically any social platform you choose to participate in. And Brad, thank you so much for having me on and for, you know, talking about us and our company. It was a real pleasure to speak with you. Well, thanks so much and uh, look forward to many conversations in the near future. Yes, absolutely. Have a great day. Well, a big thanks to Betsy for making time to come on the podcast today. And for any of you that have not been to Kohler, definitely check it out. It's an amazing little town, takes you back in time almost. And, And to see that manufacturing firsthand is just a a real treat. It's great to see American manufacturing and just all everything that goes behind the scenes. And if you're a golfer and you're able to get out to Whistling Straits or the river course out there at Black Wolf, it's uh, definitely some amazing golf. Great place to be.